Hi guys, a beautiful morning to you all. Today's Bible reading will be taken from Romans 8 and Romans 9. And our memory verse taken from Romans 9 verse 32. Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of by trusting in him, they stumbled over the great rock in their path. Let's take a few moments to ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes, open our ears and open our heart to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is going to be saying to us today. In today's Bible verse, I am going to be using NLT version and message version. In Romans 8, Paul finally addresses the struggle between the mind and the flesh. It starts by saying, So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So, God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law will be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the spirit. I want to quickly say something. Guys, in this kingdom, we work by faith. You believing in Jesus is faith. A lot of people look at you and say, how stupid can you be? You believe in a man who died thousands of years ago and you just have a book called the Bible to guide you and you're saying God is talking to you. Everything we do in this kingdom is by faith. You want to win a battle is by faith. You want to get something is by faith. You're talking to God is by faith. How do you know that you're talking to God? What's the difference between you and a non-believer? It's your faith. That's the difference. Romans 8 verse 5 to 8 message version says those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscles but never get around to exercise it in real life those who trust god's action in them find that god's spirit is in them living and breathing god obsession itself in this matter is a dead end attention to god leads us out into the open into a spacious free life focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on god anyone completely absorbed in self ignores god ends up thinking more about self than god that person ignores who god is and what he is doing and god isn't pleased about being ignored this particular verse just basically tells us that you focusing on yourself you focusing on that struggle you focus on your inability to do good you focus on all those is an even worse approach because <laughs> you doing that is not going to help you it's just going to take you deeper and make you even depressed how do you feel when you're struggling so much in your own strength to not sin to stop lying to stop to stop doing all those things you don't want to do you feel fear, you feel confused, you feel tired, you feel like God is tired of you because you are tired of yourself. You are exhausted in your own strength. Paul is telling you that. Take your eyes off the struggles. Put your eyes on Jesus. Believe that God has given you the strength 
and the ability to overcome these struggles our strength can take us nowhere not by power not by might but by the spirit of the lord we move on verse 9 to 11 but if god himself has taken up precedence in your life you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him anyone of course who has not welcomed this invisible but very clearly present god the spirit of christ who know what we are talking about but for you who welcome him in whom he dwells even though you still experience all the limitations of sin you yourself experience life on god's term not on sin anymore it stands to reason doesn't it that if the alive and present god who raised jesus from the dead moves into your life he will do the same thing in you that he did in jesus bringing you alive to himself when god lives and breathes in you you are delivered from the dead life with his spirit living in you your body will be as alive as christ paul goes on to address people that say that christian a christian's life is limiting <laughs> but no paul says in verse 15 this resurrection life you received from god is not a timid grave tending life it's adventurously expectant greeting god with a childlike manner what's next papa god's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are we know who he is and we know who we are father and children and we know we are going to get what's coming to us an unbelievable inheritance we go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we are certainly going to go through the good times with him. You know, many people believe that a Christian's life is a life where you are waiting to die. <laughs> like your life on earth shouldn't be enjoyable. But Paul is saying that no, not many people have the privilege to call God Father, to say, God, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches us. We are able to go down to the throne of grace. What privilege we have. A Christian's life is not, is not timid. It's not grave tending. It is adventurous. It's a beautiful life. Not many Christians even know this. Paul adds on to tell us that that is why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns it in until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious time ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. He ends this chapter by telling us, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have troubles or calamity? Or are being persecuted or hungry or destitute or in or in danger or threatened with death no despite all these overwhelming things we have victory in christ who loved us and i am convinced that nothing can separate us from god's love neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither our fears for today nor our worries for tomorrow not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the head below. Indeed, nothing in all creations will be able to ever 
separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. We move on to Romans 9. And in Romans 9, Paul expresses how sad his heart is for the Jews. With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ if that would save them. They are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them, gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshipping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob are their ancestors and Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. And he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? No, for not all who are born in the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Being a descendant of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. But the scripture says, Isaac is your son, though whom your descendants will be counted, though Abraham would add other children too. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. That is why we can sing and say that Abraham's blessings are mine. Are you Abraham's child? <laughs> But we are the spiritual child of Abraham. Now we understand why Abraham's blessings are ours. He made reference to Jacob and Esau in verse 12. He said, He calls people, but not according to their works. Rebecca was told, Your older son will serve your younger son. In the words of the scriptures, I loved Jacob, but I rejected Esau. Are we saying then that God was unfair? Of course not. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. Verse 16. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. For the the scripture says that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So, you see, God chooses to show mercy to some and he chooses to add in the hearts of others so they refuse to listen. Were you not surprised in the story of Pharaoh and the Egyptians that God kept on adding the heart of Pharaoh? The funny thing is, Pharaoh wanted to release the Israelites the moment God said he should release them. But just for the glory of God, God decided, no, I want everybody to know my power. <laughs> but who are we? Who are we to say that God has done wrong? And then you might think that God is wicked. How would he do that? Didn't he make Pharaoh? Doesn't he love Pharaoh? Paul answers us. When a potter makes jar out of clay, doesn't he have a right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into? In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he's very patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. All these people that are wicked, they are like, God, are you not seeing them? Why do you think they have one of the longest life? Why didn't you say that, God, why are you have, why, 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 you know, why don't you cut their life short? Why are you having mercy on them? God is merciful and he's always patient. Verse 25 says, concerning the Gentiles, God says in the prophecy of Uzziah, those 
who were not my people. I will now call my people and I will love those whom I did not love before. Verse 27. And concerning Israel, Isaiah the prophet cried out, Though the people of Israel are as numerous as the sand of the seashells, only a remnant will be saved. As we all know, the Israelites were God's chosen people. In fact, they are God's chosen people. But we see that even in the present time, only few of the Jews accept Jesus Christ. It has been prophesied that though they may be as numerous as the sand of the seashore, only a remnant to be saved. We move on and in verse 30, Paul addresses Israel's unbelief. What does all this mean? Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standard, they were made right with God. And it was by faith that this took place. But the people of Israel who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law never succeeded. Why? Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of by trusting in Him. They stumbled on the great rock in their path. God warned them of this in the scriptures when He said, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. But anyone who trusts in me will never be disgraced. God told the Israelites that there is a stumbling block in Jerusalem. Situations, situations will come. Right to look like there's no God. But those who look up to the face of God, their face will never be ashamed. But the Israelites kept their eyes on the stone instead of God. That is saying, I'm here. I'll be with you to the end of time. This is not your hand. This situation, this struggle, this sin, this present time, it is not your end. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And this is how we end today's Bible study. I hope you guys have a great day. If you are invited to all this spirit into your daily activities. I love you. And Jesus loves you even more.